They went on then together, Christian and hopeful. The way got very rough. In fact, the stone, the stony road was so rough on them that their, their feet became weary and, 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 and blistered. And they hadn't gone very far together when they saw a stile. And the stile seemed to go sort of parallel with the road they were on, the narrow path, which was the way to the eternal city. And when they got there, they were somewhat distressed because of all the things they'd suffered in Vanity Fair, and their feet were absolutely killing them. And Christian said, this looks like a shortcut. Let's go here. And so they climbed over. Hopeful wasn't quite so hopeful about this, but what happens if it leads us out of the way? Oh, it won't, said Christian. It'll be okay. Look, see, there's another, another pilgrim just ahead of us. And so they walked on together. But nighttime was coming, and the darkness into which they found, in which they found themselves as they now walked through woods was very dark indeed. And then they realized that they couldn't see the, the pilgrim in front of them and they heard this terrible shriek coming from the darkness. <coughs> and then an eerie silence. And this was too much for Hopeful. I'm sure we must be on the wrong road, he said. Let's go back. Let's go back to the stile where we came. And Christian by now was beginning to feel that he'd been rather stupid and, and, and not been sensible enough. And so they turned round and set out on their way. But the heavens absolutely opened. They became drenched, a thunderstorm with thunder which echoed across, right across the county. Sort of. and, and the rain came down and, and it was so heavy that it began to wash the path out. So they couldn't see their way any longer. In fact, there were flash floods in places and at times they wondered whether they were going to drown. And they now were totally lost and wondered if they would, would die altogether if they hadn't found a ledge. And the ledge had an overhanging rock and they saw it in the dark and they crouched into it and huddled together trying not to get the drips down their neck as the rain continued to fall and uh, comforted one another as best they could and eventually fell into a fitful and then because of the struggles they'd had in Vanity Fair into quite a deep sleep. When they woke up it was bright morning. They were woken by a gruff voice. What are you doing here? said the voice, and they looked out, and all they could say was a pair of knobbly knees. Well, we're, we're, we're pilgrims, and, and, and we're on our way to the celestial city, and we took a wrong turning. You took a wrong turning onto my land, said the owner of the knees, who was none other than giant despair from Doubting Castle. And you've been trampling over my fields. And I don't let anybody trample over my fields. I'm going to take you away. And because the two of them couldn't say anything about it, they knew that it was true. They shouldn't be there. And Christian particularly felt so guilty that he'd got his friend into this trouble that they didn't even try to run away. And the, the giant was so big and so fearsome that they just allowed him to, to pick them up and take them away to Doubting Castle, where he put them into a deep dungeon. There was a kind of window high up, but not much light came from it. It was dark in there. It was stinky. It was foul. Rats were running around. It was cold and it was damp. And they were left there from Wednesday morning till Saturday night. Not a bite to eat. Not a drop of water to drink. No companionship except each other and they were both very depressed and Christian extremely guilty.
Friends didn't know where they were. Nobody could find them and it was helpless. When the giant went to bed on Saturday night, his wife, whose name was Diffidence, who had no real self-confidence at all and therefore didn't trust anybody and therefore could be quite malevolent, even worse than the giant, asked about the prisoners. Where they come from? Where are they going? What, what, what are they doing here? And the giant answered her question. She said, well, what are you going to do about them? And he said, well, you tell me, my dear, because he only ever did what his wife, Diffidence, told him said, in the morning, you should get up and beat them to within an inch of their lives. How dare they come here trespassing? So in the morning, he did what his good wife had said. He got up, he stripped a branch from a crabapple tree, he went down to the dungeon, and he beat them mercilessly. They were blackened and bruised and nearly dead. And he just looked at them and went, ha, that'll teach you for trespassing on my land. And then he locked them back in and left them there. In the meantime, he went to bed that night and his wife said, well, how have you left them? Well, I've left them bruised and battered. You're still too, you're too gentle with them. They've got nothing worth living for. They have only bitterness to face because they're never going to get away from here. Go back to tell them in the morning to take their own lives. It's better that they just kill themselves than they stay here and we have them on our hands. So in the morning, giant despair went there and he said, uh, you have only a life of bitterness facing you here in your despondency because I'm never letting you out of this place. Take your own life and have done with it. It was very kind though. He gave them a noose. He gave them a knife. And he gave them a little bottle of poison so they could choose their own way of ending their life and departing this one. But ever so politely, they declined and said that they would hold on to life so long as they were able and this made him so furious that he, he prepared himself to kill them and tear them apart from limb from limb that very moment, except that he had a weakness. And the weakness was this, that in thundery and dark and cloudy weather, he was as strong as an ox. But when the sun came out, he was all weakened at the knees and had fits. And it just happened that one stray beam of sunlight came through that window in the top of their cell and caught him in his eye and he fell into one of his fits and had to crawl away locking them back in Christian however looked at the things he'd left behind and he said he's quite right you know we're never going to get her perhaps it would be better if we take her up for being hopeful said well the giant doesn't necessarily have the last say who knows he may have another fit and forget to lock the door and so with words like this, he managed to comfort Christian who hung on in there, holding on to life. But it was a miserable thing and they were still swollen and sore from the beating. Now, the giant's wife spoke to him again. Are they still alive? Well, they seem to be doughty rogues, said the giant. Well, take them outside the castle in the morning and show them the pile of bones of previous pilgrims that you've just ripped apart and left there. So that's what he did. In the morning, he took them out of their cell and he took them down into the palace yard and there was such a pile of bones that they could scarcely breathe for fear. <coughs> this is what I do with people who trespass on my land, he said, and it's what I will do with you within ten days' time. 
and you took them back. A dungeon. Christian, so full of guilt, was ready to give up. Ah, but hopeful, the ever hopeful. You defeated Apollyon with your trusty sword and, 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 and the valley of the shadow of death didn't defeat you. And I remember how brave you and faithful were in Vanity Fair. Don't give up now. We should, we should talk to the Lord of the heavenly kingdom and pray. And they did. First time they'd done it in their despondency. And then, as is the case in dreams, Christian remembered something. In his pocket, he had a key. And it was the key of promise. And as he took it out of his pocket, all these things came back to his mind. Ask, and you shall receive. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and the door shall be opened to you. Call to me, and I will answer you. I'll show you great and mighty things. Confess your sins, and I will forgive you. So many promises came to mind that they both took heart and then wondered if the key would fit the door of the dungeon. Well, the lock was very high up the door and they were very little in the giant's, giant's castle. So Christian had to stand on hopeful shoulders and they were both very weak. They still hadn't eaten anything and it was wobbly and he had to stand on tiptoes and he just about managed to twiddle the key into the lock. And then once he got it in there, he had to turn it and it was an old lock and it was rusty and he had to try and he tried again and again. He fell off his shoulders, climbed up, tried again and eventually using both hands, he managed to twist it, twist it and then clack. Lock opened. The door began to open, creaking on its hinges. Quick, let's get out of here, they said. They ran, remembering what could happen if they get caught, to get outside. But they heard the giant chasing after them. He'd heard the door opening. He'd screamed and jumped out of his bed and leapt, rushed down into the dungeon where he found the door open. And now he swearing and cursing he was chasing back after them they looked over their shoulder and they saw that he was almost on them he was going to catch them any moment and Christian said oh no we don't stand a chance here's where we die and just then the first light of the morning sunshine came through the clouds and hit right into the face of giant despair had one of his fits and his legs went all wobbly and he fell over and they charged for all they were worth out of the castle, out of the grounds, back the way they come. They could see the path again now and they heard the giant cursing and thundering at them in the background but his voice got further and further away until eventually, to their great relief, they came back to the place where they'd taken the wrong turning. Before they went on though, they made certain they posted a notice over this style is the way to Doubting Castle. All trespassers will be destroyed. Take warning. And confident in their own hearts that nobody else would suffer that fate, just there they walked on. And it wasn't long before they came to the Delectable Mountains. Now they'd seen the Delectable Mountains from the top of the Palace Beautiful. And they were as beautiful as they'd been told they were. And there was good, clean, clear water. And having been in the dungeon for so long, they, they just needed to wash themselves and refresh themselves. And there were fruit trees from which you could freely pick fruit and, and refresh yourself. And so they stayed there for a while, 
cleaning themselves and refreshing themselves and getting something decent to drink and eat until they were refreshed and willing and able to go on their way. As they went on their way, they noticed a chap coming down a crooked lane. His name was Ignorance. And he joined them. Well, where are you off to, they said. Well, he's, he, I'm on my way to the celestial city. But you came down a crooked path. You didn't come through the wicked gate, which is the proper way to get on. That doesn't matter, he says, how I got on to, to the way. I shall be okay. But when you get to the celestial city, have you got a parchment? Have you got your passport that you can show them? No, I haven't. But I'm quite sure it will be okay, said Ignorance. Well, we're really not certain that that's quite right, they said, really trying to persuade him to go back and come the proper way. But he says, no, I don't know you. You're utter strangers to me. You follow your religion and I'll follow mine. I'm certain it will be fine. And so they walked on without him. They came to some shepherds and the shepherds took them to the top of a little knoll. And there on the top of the hill, as he'd been told, they were allowed to use the spyglass of the shepherds and from there they could see what they thought was a golden gate of the celestial city. They took turns and marvelled and were so heartened to go on with their journey. Then the shepherds warned them. It's not far to go now, they said, but beware, beware of the flatterer, heir of the enchanted ground. And so they walked on. They came to a fork in the road, and unusually they couldn't quite tell which was the clear way to go. But somebody in white robes passed that by, whom they took to be a shining one, and he spoke so kindly and generously to them, and was so so polite. He said, where are you going? They said, we're off to the, the celestial city. Well, I'm going that way myself, he said. I'll, I'll accompany you. And so they walked on with him. He spoke wonderful things. Uh, he asked them about themselves. And when he realized that they were Christian and hopeful, he was so encouraging. Oh, we've heard all about you, Christian. We've heard what you did to Apollyon. Oh, they just can't wait for you to arrive in the celestial city. And you must be hopeful. You're the one who turned aside. But we're so proud of you for, for, um, for turning back again. It takes real guts to get it wrong and then come turn back again. And so they were so encouraged and heartened by his fine speech and the way that he spoke to them and made them feel good about themselves, that uh, they didn't notice that the road had turned back on itself and they were actually walking away from the celestial city. And when they did notice, because they'd been so careful listening to this man in the white robes, they hadn't noticed that there were nets trapped um, set and they fell into a man trap. And the more they struggled to get out of it, the more entangled they got in this trap and the more hopelessly confused. And they cried out to the shining one to help them. But when he took off his cloak and turned round, he was a hideous creature. And he just mocked them and sneered and abandoned them. And they heard him laughing and cackling like an old witch as he disappeared into the woods. If it hadn't been that a real shining one had come along, they'd been there all day. But the real shining one let them out and said, didn't anybody warn you of the flatterer? Well, the shepherds did, they replied. But we never thought that such a fine-speaking man could be the flatterer. They found the path again. They noticed once they got on the path that ignorance was still creeping up behind them. And as they went, um, they began to feel very dreary. Was it the sense that they had been so stupid in listening to the, the, the flatterer? Was it that they were still worn out from, from their imprisonment? What was it? But they found 
began to feel very dreary and their feet got heavy and, and drowsy and they began talking to each other and yawning. Oh. And Hopeful said, I, oh, I'm so tired. Can't we oh, just stop and sleep a while? Because uh, sleep is good for the labouring man. And Christian, yawning likewise, said, oh, yeah, but... On the other hand, if we go to sleep, we might not wait again. I fear that this might be the enchanted land. Hopeful felt so stupid that he hadn't realised it himself. And then suddenly it seemed to them as though they'd been cast into a spell. And their feet became leaden and their eyes were heavy. And it was so difficult to trudge along that in the end they decided they would stalk non-stop to one another. Even if it was absolute nonsense and stupid jokes. And they talked to each other about the book. They talked to each other about their journeys. They pinched themselves and they pinched each other. And they made such slow progress. But they refused to shut up until suddenly... They came out into lighter air, sweeter air, with birds singing and the sun shining. And they thought, whoa, through it. And then, as they turned and looked, they saw, rising above them, the golden turrets and towers and walls of the everlasting city, built on a foundation above the clouds. And they thought, wow, we're almost there. Yay! must be so easy from here, except that between them and the gates, there was this terrible, muddy, dirty and fast-flowing river with, with swirls of mist which never went away. And they looked right and they looked left. But the men standing by the river said, no, there is no bridge. You have to pass this way. And so they stepped into the water. I have to say that Christian couldn't swim. Hopeful wasn't much better. Christian stepped into the water and couldn't feel the bottom. He began to sink. Hopeful remembered some hymn which he'd learnt somewhere on the way. When I tread the verge of Jordan, bid my anxious fear subside. Death of death and hell's destruction, land me safe on Canaan's side. We'll make it, we'll make it, he said holding on to his friend, but Christian sank beneath the water and he had never been so horrified or fearful of anything in his life. Not even the valley of the shadow of death had been like this. But the fact that people suffer such terrors and horrors at times going through the river doesn't mean that God has forsaken them. And suddenly as they lifted up their eyes to try and see again the turrets of the golden city, they seemed to renew their strength. And the river flowed less fast and they began to feel the the bottom beneath their feet and it wasn't slippery anymore and it was firm and they came out on the other side and when they came out on the other side looking at the eternal city whoa they were met by some shining ones who were so pleased to see them you may wonder what had happened to ignorance by the way uh, well he had found a rather dubious ferryman called False Confidence, and he paid him, and he got across the river fine. Didn't even get his shoes wet, actually, and he was standing there. Um, but the shining ones came to meet um, Christian and Hopeful, and although it was the, the hill, there was a steep hill leading up to the city. They seemed to almost run up there. It was so easy because of the companionship they received and the help they had. Ignorance, on the other hand, had no one to meet him, and he had to struggle up this hill on his own. They were announced, and they showed their passports, 
and uh, it seemed like a, a crowd, a cloud of great witnesses, hearing of their arrival, came and, and stood on the ramparts and began to cheer them. Ignorance, on the other hand, finally made it up, but when they leant over and the guard said, have you got a passport? He felt around inside his jacket, and of course we know he had no parchment. And he turned round and walked back the way he'd come. Christian, however, and a hopeful, the gates were opened. And as they walked in, the heavenly crowd choirs began to sing for them. The streets were paved with gold. The people in there seemed to have bright eyes. There didn't seem to be any illness around. Nobody seemed as though they were about to die. They all looked so alive. They were wearing crowns, crowns of righteousness. And then faithful, who had been the first to get there, came up and, and greeted Christian and hugged them both. And then they saw Abraham and they saw Moses and they saw all kinds of great saints that have got there long before them who, who rushed up to greet them and seemed to know them by name, which was absolutely awesome. And then as they walked in, they realized that they had crowns, crown of life on their head because they'd been faithful unto death. And then ahead of them, they saw the throne of the prince, the king himself. And they walked up to it and with great humility, they bowed down and they cast their crowns on the ground before him. But to their astonishment, the king stood up from his throne and walked down and welcomed them and lifted them up from the ground and turned them round to face the crowds that were greeting them and said to each of them, Well done! Well done, good and faithful servants! And all heaven cheered. And as I watched, the doors closed. And suddenly, I woke up. As it was just a dream. The Christian who'd had the dream John Bunyan had it in the original version. Christian, who had the dream, looked around his room and he saw a bookshelf. And on the bookshelf, he saw the book which had started in his hands in the dream. And he jumped out of bed and he picked it up. And it was the very words that he'd been hearing in his dream. And he called his wife and showed the words to him. And the children, they began to read them together. And that morning, as he got up from his dream, he and his wife and his children determined they were going to go on this journey together. Whatever it cost them, whatever spiritual dangers they faced, whatever mistakes they made, they knew that there was a king in a celestial city who was so merciful they could turn to him again and find forgiveness and pardon. And now they were going to do this journey for real. Now you're on that journey for real. And the question is, are you willing to face Apollyon? Are you willing to walk through consumerist vanity fair and turn your eyes away from your wares and if people curse you as they did those pilgrims are you willing to take the curses because you prefer another kingdom and a higher king how about you